Okay, I think we're ready to uh, resume. Um, our uh, last uh, unit for, t for today is uh, tools, outreach, and innovation in teaching. Um, a few framing questions for this uh, session. Um, the first is what tools are in use at your institution? How are these tools used effectively to improve teaching and learning? Uh, what are the success stories on your campus that highlight innovative use of these tools? How is good educational practice driving tool selection, which drives success in teaching? How are you selecting and prioritizing the building and or buying of tools? And how are these best practices affecting the selection and ultimately the impl implementation of LMSs on your campus? We're gonna have four speakers. Um, Tom Lewis from University of Washington who will come next. Uh, we're gonna start with Joseph Harden from the University of Washington. Then, f and then after Tom, I'm sorry, Michigan, sorry. Thank you. Um, uh, Joseph's gonna be talking about CHEF and Tom's gonna talk about Catalyst. Then Bruce Vincent from Stanford will speak. And uh, finally, uh, Jim Farmer will talk about, uh, from Delaware, will talk about uh, open source uh, tools that have been developed uh, in the UK. So uh, without further ado, uh, Joseph Harden from the University of Michigan. Okay, so a little bit of background. Uh, we've got two systems running uh, at the University of Michigan that are of interest here. One is called Course Tools, which is your vanilla CMS system. Another called Work Tools, which is part of a series of uh, work that we've been doing in supporting scientific research groups. And as it turns out, um, it's been used by a lot of groups uh, that want to do all different kinds of work online. I come out of a tradition of working on collaborative technologies. Before Michigan, I was at NCSA, and I'm with something called the Collaborative Technologies Lab now and um, at the School of Information. And there, our interest is not just in teaching. We look upon uh, CMS systems uh, as collaborative systems of a specific type. The larger case is uh, systems that allow people to work together online. So that's a little bit of the context. The two paths of work tools and course tools obviously have a lot in common. Uh, as instances of collaboration support systems. So CHEF is a framework for building the next generation of both these systems. Both of the current systems are built on top of Domino, uh, the Lotus web environment, and I, we want to move off of that for a lot of reasons. One is uh, we like open source, uh, we like the idea of sharing components, we like the idea of standards environments, and so we're going to work in all of those. I'm gonna, three slides on CT, uh, course tools. It's your typical system, uh, students have one URL they have to go to, they get a customized page, they can click on their class. Their classes look, um, depending on which environment they're in, which skin, uh, which school they're at, what skin they've got, the normal types of things allows, you, allows people to put up resources and have discussions and have a calendar and populate it with uh, whatever they want and, and link discussions and resource items and things like that and lots of help. Um, we have, uh, we get the majority of our question, or not the majority, I don't think, but a large number of our questions, of course, uh, on an online uh, course tool, on an online course system like this, have nothing to do with the system. They have to do with people's modems, uh, the numbers they dialed, uh, trouble that they're having with their disk drive, things like that. So there's a lot of things that we put online uh, to help mitigate that. Now, work tools was initially spun off of course tools. Um, 
<coughs> and then used as a test bed for a bunch of things and as support for scientific work groups. It, scientific research teams, um, science review teams, people who are writing papers or doing reports for the NSF or whatever, technology design teams like the CHEF team itself, uh, and there's currently, it's really uh, close to 8,000 or 9,000 users. This is the kind of environment that work tools grew out of. This is a 1996 or 97 slide of a system that we built when we didn't, we didn't, know, we didn't have the word portal. Uh, we didn't use the word portal then, but it has a lot of those features. On the left, if you could see it, um, there's a chat, there's um, uh, an area for files, there's some presence information about who's online. There's a bunch of tools for looking at real-time data, archive data, uh, visualizations, and uh, announcements about what's happening in the upper atmosphere. This was built for a bunch of space physics um, researchers who have instruments scattered around the globe that they want to be able to coordinate and use as one instrument. If something's happening in the upper atmosphere, they want to be able to point them all in the same place. So adoption of course tools and work tools um, is typical. Um, a bunch of people are using it. About 35,000 uh, students have used it on the campus. Our biggest day is always Tuesday. Uh, the work week at Michigan runs from late Sunday afternoon until about Thursday uh, midday. Uh, and then the uh, usage of the system uh, drops quite a bit. The system, uh, we call it, we, I'm saying that it's deepening because this scale, which isn't uh, labeled um, on this, are the unique users on a particular day. And on Tuesday, this last semester, there were about 13, 14,000 unique users that hit. Um, work tools uh, is not only for University of Michigan users, but also for their colleagues to collaborate um, at other sites. And it's on a typical acceleration path, um, over 9,000 there. So Chef is the tool, uh, the framework again, to bring together the kinds of functionality that we had in, in um, course tools and work tools into one environment, build it as an open source uh, framework, and build it to standards. We've got the first generation of it out in, in, pi in pilot. I'll use that. Dirk didn't say thank you not. Um, but we've got, we call them pilots. Um, and uh, some global change courses, some uh, Spanish courses, some other types of courses are using it uh, and suffering um, because it is a pilot. Um, the idea is very simple in Chef. There's a bunch of shared core features, which we could uh, list pretty pretty simply, uh, all the things that we want to do when we're working together for work tools, for scientific research teams, there's a, there's a different uh, social model uh, than you have with uh, the mentor-student relationship. You're working with peers there uh, overwhelmingly, so you don't usually make assignments to people on your work group. You have a to-do list that the work group works on together. Those things make big differences in the way that people approach and actually use the tools. And of course, <clears throat> there's, a, there's things like data access which are not as uh, important in some cases for uh, the course tools, but these bleed, of course, across each other, and that's what we want. Because one of the goals of the whole CHEF uh, project is to make it easy for people to move between their research environment and their teaching environment. And if they're using the tool in their research environment, then they're um, more likely to use it in the teaching environment and vice versa. And they have the opportunity to introduce their students to authentic education. Now, one of the the types of projects that we're working on on the work tool side of things, one of them is NICE, a bunch of earthquake engineers who build models and then break them um, in one way or another. Either they put them on a shake table and shake them until they bust, or they put a hydraulic arm against them and push them until they bust, or whatever. Uh, there's a couple other methods, but those are the two main ones. 
This has got us involved in uh, the Globus uh, environment, so the grid stuff that people have run across that's the big NASA, DOE, uh, NSF effort for high-performance computing is one of the requirements for our system. We have to be able to manage the security. We have to be able to manage the transport. We have to be able to um, have people have access to all those resources in their work tools environment, and by extension, uh, they get it in the course tools environment. So I'm going to quick run through a set of slides that talk about a demo that was done a couple um, months ago, three months ago. Um, this is a um, version of Chef uh, that was set up for that earthquake um, community. They populated it with a bunch of tools, uh, which will some of them will stop and, some, and look at. Others are just normal, uh, the typical tools. Uh, they put up a metadata repository so that they could look at the metadata that came along with the uh, data from instruments. Part of their project is a repository of data from uh, instruments of the type I described. Uh, they had they set up their own site, of course, with all the announcements and junk like that. Set up their calendar for setting up the experiment. Um, <clears throat> had announcements, uh, resource area for it. Used the discussion group. Uh, used the chat in the system, and used the scientific notebook, which allows people to take snapshots of uh, video up from their screen and paste it into a notebook and uh, pull in the data that's coming in. We built a couple data viewers for them so that as the, the uh, data was coming across, they could look at it. The notebook is something that came out of the uh, Oak Ridge National uh, Laboratory. There are three flavors of this, and we work with a couple of them, the uh, PNNL, uh, Pacific National something lab, um, Pacific Northwest National Lab, um, all those ends, all those organizations used to have nuclear in them. Um, and this is a, a, something that we found users are very like quite a bit because it allows them to do the kinds of uh, typical lab work of sequentially putting in results um, and keeping track of parameters and all the things that they've been doing as they run through an experiment. There's another project that's a DOE project. That was an NSF project. And part of the model of chef development is that uh, we leverage across the two environments, the research environment and the teaching environment. So part of our funding comes from the teaching environment through the provost's office. Part of it comes from places like NSF through uh, support for the work in work tools in the research environment. Another place that we work with are DOE groups uh, like this um, multi-scale chemistry collaboratory who's taken CHEF and is using it uh, to build a system, again, that's focused around questions of metadata and managing um, data between different scales of chemistry, from the quantum on up to the thermodynamics and everything. And these are just a couple shots of the system that they're using. The pedigree browsing tool allows them uh, allows the system to track a reference and drill down uh, until you get back to where that value for the hydrogen atom came from. Uh, they use this, and, and when you're working across multi-scale systems, you need to have that because people at one level need to go back and find out where the assumptive uh, bases are for the parameters that they're using in the next system. Um, we think this is this is built on a, a um, another DOE project that we're simply pulling into the Chef framework and going to make this kind of thing available uh, to the users of Course Tools Next Generation. This you can't see, but is a pedigree graph of what you the kinds of things that you find when you drill down through the system um, as you're looking for the different levels of data. Could you see it at all? No, no. no right? Dilbert, yeah, it was kind of like, that was my Dilbert cartoon, by the way. I've got a copy of that online, too, right? 
Um, so this is, again, um, they have a strong interest in data and metadata, and so do we. So the idea here is leveraging research support. Part of the uh, support for this project, for the CHEF project, is also coming um, from the National uh, Middleware Initiative. Uh, unannounced, but we're in the final negotiations with uh, NSF, a collaboration between Michigan, Texas, Austin, Indiana, um, NCSA, and Argonne to support core grid services in, uh, um, in CHEF and integrate that um, with the next generation of the grid uh, software, which is uh, based on a grid services model. It's uh, more of a web services approach than the old Globus style. So it's OGSI. The architecture was OGSA, and the implementation is OGSI. So the summary here real, is that Course Tools is online support for, for learning. It's in pilot. We've got a fall rollout. We'll take next year to introduce this to people and let them move over. You don't tell, somebody here said at Harvard, it's impossible to mandate something like this. Michigan is absolutely like that. The only place that can, uh, where a dean can actually go and say do this is in the business school. Um, so all of, the, uh, all, all of the adoption for this kind of thing, of course, comes from people voluntarily to some extent adopting it. Next year we'll, let, uh, we'll try and get as many people to adopt the next generation as possible and then uh, through all the normal methods, tell them if you're building a new course, build it next generation, things like that, and then slowly turn off, though we never quite say turn off. We will cut back on the support for uh, the old version. Work tools, we've got a release date uh, in uh, late summer for the NICE project. The CMCS project is actually in test with their communities, and uh, the NMI work is, is uh, just starting. So the goals there are to enhance the online tools, of course, now that to build as many tools as we can and share them, um, to make it easy to move between teaching and research. Again, people who are using this in their research environment should be able to bring it into their uh, teaching environment and the resources that are there and the experiences that people have with their colleagues, specifically their students, as easily as possible. Uh, to build on standards efforts, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and to build uh, collaboration so we can get a market of components because as... Uh, Brad pointed out there's not much interest uh, in this if we can't share code. Uh, if we can't share tools, if we can't share components in the future, then the economic model here uh, is seriously undermined, uh, and it's less fun. Uh, so why should we open source CMSs like this? Uh, the university uh, feels at Michigan that we shouldn't outsource a core competence teaching. We're good at this. We should be able to do this well. Um, it fits university value structures. The open source part of this does. Um, on a lot of levels, we're an open community, and we could elaborate on that in a lot of different dimensions. We think we can build an extended uh, academic community through collaboration and shared effort and the kinds of things that Jeff talked about earlier of the people that are working together around the OKI is an example of that. Um, and it's a grand experiment, so it's worthy of uh, the university's participation. Now, the CHEF architecture is real simple. Um, You've got a bunch of persistent services out here that talk across the service API, and then there's all that other stuff over there. Uh, the teamlets, of course, you can think of as, as portlets. The portal engine that we use is JetSpeed. Um, we chose JetSpeed about a year and a half ago. When we looked uh, at uPortal, um, there wasn't that much difference at that time, uh, and the uh, community that we work with on the research side of things has done a lot of work in JetSpeed. We're now talking, um, we think that the uPortal uh, project has indeed taken off and that that is an important uh, part of the community now. And we're talking with them 
uh, to figure out how to do interoperability across the two portal environments, and I'll talk just very briefly about that later. But anyway, as far as OKI is concerned, look at the services API, and our strategy is simply to swap in the OKI APIs as we go along. Uh, the ones that we're working on are the ones in red here, local ID, DVC, filing, um, and assessment, as was pointed out, we're working with Indiana, Stanford, MI, and um, who's the, who else is working on Navigo? Oh, there's just three? It's usually four. It's usually four. Right, Craig's watching. There you go. Um, and that's one that, we, uh, that we're using as a test case, both from uh, Michigan's perspective of building a service that's built on web services, uh, to building to the IMS QTI for uh, the assessment uh, part of it, or for the foundation for the uh, assessment environment, and making sure that it works across the three different environments. CourseWorks in Stanford, OnCourse at um, Indiana, and Chef at Michigan. We're also using it with an OAI, the Open um, Archives Initiative tool that was built at um, Michigan, something called Oyster, isn't that cute? And it uh, takes, it harvests OAI information and gives uh, stu students access to it. We're making that into a portal, and for the communication between the service and Chef, we're using the OKI DR. Now, the current Chef environment, uh, as I said, uses Chef's, uh, uses Chef Speed, right? Uh, uses JetSpeed, um, the uh, Apache Portal Jakarta Portal project, uh, as, its, as its tool coordination framework. Um, and over on the, the right there, you can see that we can use Chef internal services APIs, OKI APIs, or grid services A APIs, or web services APIs, whatever, you know, there are a number of things that we're surfacing the underlying services as. Those are the four main ones. And the idea here, again, is interoperability. We're talking with, um, again, we're talking with the, I think it's the next slide. Um, yeah, two, I'll back up one. Uh, for cross-portal development, again, interoperability, be able to share components. Just having the services APIs there is not enough to have um, integrated display. Um, we're talking with um, uPortal and a couple others about web services, remote uh, protocol, and some, the plus-plus there is because of some um, best practices and things that we need to add to it right now. It's not quite cooked. Well, it's not soup yet. Uh, and display-level practices um, that would allow us to fairly well uh, transfer components across the systems. So... That's one that uh, Stellar, Craig, and uh, people from MIT are sitting in on those. Uh, as I said, we're using IMS at, at the data level and OKI at the services level. Uh, the standard efforts, somebody mentioned JSR 168. Uh, we're interested in all of those and working um, to make sure as they come out that we're compliant with those. Um, and we think it's important to start a collaborative effort to bring order to the, to, to the portal problem space and the, and the um, tool space, uh, the component space within it. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're working on. Okay, so I mentioned the component interoperability between uh, the, four, the, the different tools and Navigo. And lastly, um, I've talked about research and teaching. Increasingly, we're being asked to do uh, work on uh, open, use these open source tools in environments that involve public service, whether it has to do with the Alliance for Community Technology working with NGOs and public uh, organizations, 
Uh, there's an African AIDS project that simply can't afford uh, a lot of the, the um, infrastructure that's needed, and they need a set of tools like this, uh, American Indian Higher Education. And these open up interesting questions for us about how do open source collaborative efforts contribute and help us understand uh, information dynamics in all of our domains of interest. One of the things that I um, didn't mention was, uh, I think I did mention it, but I wanted to emphasize was that there, the work tools side of this gives us entree across the university. Uh, there are people in all different parts of the university who are familiar with work tools and hence with the interfaces and the functionality of the tools, not just the faculty. As people in um, support groups and in our IT area and in human resources who use the tools simply to carry on group work, uh, to manage um, documents, discussions, email archives, lists like that, and uh, who are, and and do surveys because there's a survey t a test tool that's been used for surveys, and developing that level of, of human competence throughout the uh, human resources throughout the uh, university helps us with both the adoption and all of the support for the system. So you can go to the Chef Project site, chefproject.org, and see what the latest is. And that's it. I stop. Okay. Any questions about this? There's about seven developers. Um, uh, there's also two or three people from the school, initially from the School of Information, who are working as um, HCI and you know people who are getting requirements, helping us with the interfaces, and uh, two or three other who are on our support staff for uh, course tools, right itself. Well, yeah, um, we did a, an analysis uh, when we first walked into the project, um, trying to figure out what the, the trade-offs were, um, and I don't know exactly how to characterize it. Um, we found that the, the, a lot of the costs were in the uh, support area. The actual development um, was not the overriding cost for us. Uh, because we had, I mentioned we had full-time people who were doing support, and there's the support of the systems, um, but there's significant cost in development for us, right? And that's something that we see as being um, both an initial cost, one that's shared across the uh, university and the research projects themselves. Uh, I mentioned the NSF funding and, and uh, that kind of thing, and something that um, we think contributes both to the uh, internal uh, capabilities, right, of the School of Information, uh, because it, we at the school are very interested in this, as well as the university. Does that help? Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, thanks. Somebody turn my...
Hi, folks. You all look a little subdued. Maybe I'll, uh, shall I start with a dance? Maybe an interpretive dance? Let me enact Catalyst for you. Um, so I'll, I'll try to be fairly brief here. Um, I'm Tom from the University of Washington. Uh, we have grown our own, and uh, it's called Catalyst. Uh, but it's not just a set of web-based tools, and I think it's important to explain sort of the whole oeuvre of Catalyst here to get an idea of why we do what we do and why we do it that way. Um, so the Catalyst project, it's really a lot of different things. It's, it's 24 by 7 web support. Um, the whole thing is meant to focus on teaching with technology, and we want to support everybody, faculty, staff, instructors, teaching assistants, um, ostensibly for teaching, but of course we build all these collaborative tools that can be used for a lot of other stuff. And so we try to support that the best that we can. So this is what we call the blob, uh, and the blob is sort of the summary of all things um, that we roll into the Catalyst initiative. So you see, you know, first on the list is the web toolkit, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, a lot of web-based resources that we build, and that's both pedagogical resources. Uh, we study faculty who are using our tools and try to suggest effective ways for faculty to use them for teaching. Uh, a lot of how-to documents. We also teach workshops, uh, and faculty do attend them. I don't know why, um, but they seem to like them. Uh, we do a lot of outreach. We go and talk to people in their departments where they live. A lot of departments will invite us in to do custom workshops for them, uh, custom workshops on our stuff, our tools. And we do a lot of one-to-one -one help in the center that we run, uh, the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology. And the stuff on the outer edge of the blob there, that's what the whole initiative is meant to do, help faculty build their technology skills, use the stuff effectively, build things that are easy to use, and uh, upside down is good examples of good practice. Uh, everything is accessed through this interface and one other, which I'll show you. So we've got sort of all things Catalyst on the Catalyst website, and what I'm going to drill into in a moment are the web-based tools, which are probably of most interest to folks. So we're uh, big on participatory design. Uh, we want to create tools that meet the needs expressed by faculty. And we constantly engage with faculty. The, we never built, uh, until about a year ago, a way for faculty to make web pages uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we wanted to, we didn't want to buy a whole system. We have this great infrastructure. We had great uh, authentication. We had file storage. We had all that stuff. And when we went and talked to faculty in about, what, 98, 99, they weren't as interested in putting up web pages as they were in doing more interactive, collaborative things with students. Um, web pages was much farther down the list. So we didn't build a wrapper. We didn't have an easy way for faculty to put stuff up. And besides, uh, the University of Washington is quite decentralized, and some people, some departments have their own servers, and they're doing their own stuff, and they'll put web pages up for faculty. What they wanted were, were tools uh, and some pretty specialized stuff. And so, well, you'll get the story here. So this is how we balance um, building the tools and, and sort of pedagogical needs. My, my developers, who also teach workshops, who help people in the one-to-one -one in the center, who go out and do outreach, they're not just coding all the time, so they've got a nice connection with our user base. But, uh, you know, they come from weird backgrounds. I mean, we have computer engineering, but also a biologist and a geologist. And we also have a whole range of professional staff, grad students, 
and about 12 or 14 undergrads who work on all the Catalyst stuff, including the web-based tools. So you've got different people, different approaches, uh, and that has helped. And always our goal is this, to help the teachers teach and learners learn. I mean, it sounds trite and it, and, and it maybe is obvious, but we really, when we're looking at the things people ask us to do, uh, this is the first filter, and a lot of stuff doesn't pass that, uh, so we don't build it. Uh, and our developers interact, as I said, with faculty, teaching the workshops, uh, working in the center. And our development cycle, each and every stage of it, uh, involves focus groups and bringing the faculty in to look at stuff, comment on it, interact with it. Uh, and the cool thing about that is that when we're done, it's their stuff. You know, they see themselves in the product that we build for them, and, and they're much more likely to use it. In-house development. Um, as I said, we didn't start with a, a way to build web pages or any kind of wrapper. It's all modular. Uh, in other words, people can just take a Catalyst tool, configure it, and plop it on a web page that they've made themselves. Or uh, the, student, uh, the, the student association can take our, our, our quiz software, our survey software, and use it to conduct online voting for student government or the, the, the faculty senate now. So, we started modular because we wanted, we wanted to be people to do just one thing, if that's all they wanted to do. And that one thing that most wanted to do was not a web page. Uh, and again, it allows people to sort of use the tools in ways that fit perhaps with departmental servers and web pages and web spaces. And we didn't want to be locked into a vendor. So we started building in 98 with Perl because at the time that was as far as we were concerned, sort of the most robust and fast language for building web interfaces and web applications. And we've stuck with it. Um, our back end is MySQL, which uh, two versions ago wasn't so great, but now uh, we're, we're very happy with it. Uh, and all that's built on top of uh, Apache. Collaborative development. Again, I can't say this enough. We engage with faculty at every step uh, of, of our development process. Always. And again, when we release tools for the first time, we don't, we don't have a, a mandate from above, from provosts or deans or department chairs often to use them, but people do because they've contributed to their development. So let me just take you a quick tour through some of the, the tools we've built. Uh, I said a minute ago we didn't build a simple way for people to create websites, and yet this is the first slide. Uh, we built this uh, a couple tools ago. It's now about a year old. It's called SimpleSite. Uh, you can imagine what it does. We'll be building into the next version, which will start pretty soon, a whole set of templates and interfaces for students because they looked at it, uh, tried to hack it into a way to make their own web pages, but didn't quite work. So they funded us to put in a bunch of student sort of functionality and templates. Uh, there'll be more robust content management features, things like that. Uh, Something we just released uh, a second version of is a portfolio tool. And this is something that, that really was a result from our close engagement with our users. They, you know, everybody, every department has some version of, of portfolio or online portfolios. And we went out and talked to all these people uh, over about a year period. And we created something that, that scales. In other words, it meets every department's needs, you know, or at least 80% of it, which is better than, than most. Uh, for portfolios to put work online. So 
we span the departments. It's flexible. We've got all kinds of people using it for all kinds of crazy stuff that we never even anticipated. Uh, and and again, you know, it's it's flexibility and scalability really was a measure of, of a byproduct of the the process of deep engagement with our users. Uh, WebQ survey quiz software. You've all seen something like this. We're now uh, building a, a third version. Uh, looking a lot at a lot of the standards that are out there and some of the stuff that Stanford and, and some of you folks are doing. And I should mention with Portfolio, um, we've moved to a workspace user interface that we're porting all the rest of the Catalyst tools over to. So you've got uh, the things you can do over here, your workspace in the middle, and the integrated help that's context-specific on the right. Um, we found through focus groups that this is the way faculty and, and staff like the setup the most. Uh, peer review, a way to comment uh, on documents online. Very nice tool. That the, the need for this was expressed by a lot of our writing centers. Email, anonymous email off of a web page, not so exciting. Uh, E-submit, turn in your homework online. Uh, E-post, discussion board. Again, you've all seen these before. We have a lot of really interesting features that we've built into it over the years. Uh, and the nice thing about Perl is, you know, just last week, this, this whole physics class, there's like a thousand people, they were using ePost, and they made a feature request. And it was a good feature, and we were able to implement it in like four hours. Uh, and of course, that feature is now available to anybody. And it's, it's fairly easy to do that kind of stuff with our, our uh, development environment. Uh, quick poll, you know, online uh, graphic surveys. One that isn't in here for some reason, we have an online case-based learning tool called Virtual Case, which is really rich and, and, and complex, and it allows people to work in groups and, and go through basically cases that consist of all kinds of files that comprise the evidence, make decisions, and it's really sort of a big decision tree. So, you know, the case before them changes depending on what the group does uh, and the decisions they make. Uh, that's something that came out of our medical school, and we worked with enough people that it's used in, in a lot of different disciplines. Now, back to the notion of wrappers. Uh, we've built one. It's called MyUW Class, and you access this through uh, the MyUW portal. And this brings together uh, stuff from the libraries, uh, student information systems, uh, catalyst tools, all sorts of disparate things, online things that existed in their own silos before. We've brought them into this interface, and we're looking to make this uh, uh, another version that's more, more of a workspace, and in, in, in some sense, like Chef is. Uh, we want to tie all this stuff together in a wrapper where people can do all their work in the browser and not have to go off somewhere else. Uh, really, so we can reach more people, more users uh, at at the level where they're at. Uh, Digital Well. It's a little bit like DSpace. Um, and this is actually kind of an interesting story. This is one of the first things we've done at the University of Washington that, that actually uses web services to tie together different systems. Um, and it's basically an online archive for storing stuff, but it also uh, streams uh, digital audio and video. And it's a nice, flexible uh, uh, system. And as you can see, the user interface uh, is a lot like the portfolio user interface. Even though a different group than mine built the back end, we built the front end. And they tie together uh, via web services with our groups and, and list management uh, uh, system. Uh, 
So what you know, a lot of people are using it. As you can see, you know, since since we started, uh, we've got about 18,000 implementations of Catalyst tools, and sometimes people reuse them and just clear out all the information, or they create a new one every quarter. So it's hard to to say, you know, how many total implementations there there that are used that there have been because some get reused. Um, a lot of people own them. In other words, if you configure a tool, you're an owner. So we've got uh, about 8,000 people over over the four years that Catalyst has been around who have who have configured the tools to be used by others. And as of December, about five to 5,500 of them were active. So most of those are, are are faculty, staff, and teaching assistants. So we're somewhere you know around 50 to 60 percent, depending on how you count of the those who instruct at UW. Um, we also, the Catalyst stuff is used by our distance education arm. Uh, most departments, there's there's a couple departments that have their own uh, who bought WebCT or Blackboard, but they've since kind of let their licenses uh, subside because Catalyst is there and it's meeting their needs. Uh, on the student side, you've got a lot of stuff going on. A visit's merely a, a, a 20 to 30 minute session, but you can see there are a lot of them, so they're, it's not unique, but, but merely visits in a month. Uh, and page view sort of represents an activity, reading a note, making a comment, filling out a question. So you've got lots of activity going on in there. So that's it. And as I said, what we're doing next is, uh, Probably because we started out with rapid development, um, our tools themselves are in a way, at least the older ones, silos unto themselves. We have a, a Catalyst code base, and we've taken a lot of time to carefully go through the OKI stuff and have actually rebuilt some of it in Perl uh, for our purposes. We've also, uh, along the lines of the guys at NC State, have taken some time to make Perl and Java work together and uh, look forward to, to perhaps working with with uh, Paul and Jim from Harvard and others, uh, we're very interested in taking something like uPortal and, and making that sort of the wrapper for our, our workspace where we'll plug in our uh, Perl-based tools. And again, we're very much uh, looking and learning at, at all the standard stuff that's out there, taking what we can. Uh, we don't want to throw everything out and start anew because uh, we've got a lot there, but, but we're still we're aiming towards standards. Any questions? BJ. Well, I like the fact that it's all tools. Now, is there any uh, expressed high level of interest in having this wrapper as an environment where all these tools are there? Yeah. You typically just want the tools. But, well, both. I mean, oh, uh, VJ is asking, is there an interest in having a wrapper now for these tools, or is it still just an interest in the tools themselves? It, it really depends. Um, a lot of the faculty, I think we've probably hit as many faculty as we're going to hit with the way things are now. Maybe about 40, 50% are using the stuff and using it intensively because it's not as quite as easy as it could be to put up a web page and then suck in the tools and set them up. So sort of the next iteration of my UW class will be that wrapper that brings the stuff together. But then again, there are people in departments who... Uh, have staff that create the web pages for them, and they just want to plop in a tool. So I think for us to, to reach more faculty, we need the wrapper. 
but we also want to continue to, to make the stuff available outside of whatever container we put around them. Yeah? Um, general comments, how the students reacted to the portfolio and any comments you might have about overuse or misuse? Uh, it's hard for students. Uh, what do they think about portfolio and overuse or misuse? We released it last fall to uh, basically the entire freshman class had to use it. And we got a huge amount of feedback. Uh, what you just saw was version two of Portfolio. Uh, we recoded the UI in about two months uh, based upon that feedback. But they, they for the most part, liked it. Uh, if it was executed and set up poorly by the instructor, in other words, uh, you know, it's like if you teach and you assign a book and you say, you know, this book's not really good, but you have to read it. Well, if you do that with portfolio, the students don't like it. If it was an integral part of the curriculum, they tended to enjoy it. Um, and now we're seeing a lot of faculty using it for a lot of different stuff. Advisors are using it. Uh, the graduate school is beginning to use it. Uh, counselors are beginning to use it. So, so the use is there. And, and the students actually funded part of the development of the portfolio. So it's something they saw value in. Did I? Overuse, misuse, right? Um, it's not overused. It's hard to misuse as sort of my MP3 storage space because you can only upload one file at a time. So it makes it a little difficult for that kind of use. Ah, I think you might have been referring to ePost, but a lot of our tools have uh, the ability to generate participation reports based upon uh, the University of Washington net ID of the student. So how many comments they made, how many questions they answered, how many uh, peer reviews they filled out. So we have a fair number of those features in. But unfortunately, they tend to be tool specific. In other words, we don't have kind of a, a statistics layer in the catalyst uh, code base that, that each tool can use, so we have to hack it together for each tool, which is one of the things uh, we're spending the next year uh, remedying with, with a, a better use of our code base. Um, depends. When we started, we had two. Now I have four. Two are funded on soft money. Um, I also have a few students who are fairly integral to the development process with bug testing. Um, and then I have staff who do documentation. Yes? Going back to the use and misuse of the portfolio on your photo plan? Photos? Yeah. On the portfolio. Yes, you can. You can uh, you can download and save as HTML your, your entire portfolio as well. If you're 500 megabytes. So no. <laughs> well, but again, one at a time. Dirk. Uh, in other words, a place you can call. Uh, well, you can call us between nine to five. Like I said, my developers answer the phone sometimes. Uh, we also have a help account, email account, but we take a lot of time on the Catalyst website to make the how-to stuff available and often end up referring people to it. Um, 
you know, you see these weird kind of M&Ms, and in the how-to, it's really basic step-by-step -step stuff. Uh, and we build hooks into the tools now, and on some of the menus or some of the interfaces you've seen, we actually have the context-specific help there always on the right. So that's actually diminished our support requests for the tools where we built that in. Yes. Well, we try to help them. Uh, most of the stuff we already know. And so we just want to tell them what it is or where to go and who to talk to to get it done. Um, part of the whole catalyst really shtick is that we want people to leave happy and feel like they've been helped even if we can't do it. Um, they're the same guys, and uh, I'm I'm not sure what keeps them there because it's not it's not pay, uh, but you know they only work 40 hours, and uh, it's their stuff, and and they get to run the whole gamut of activities. I think that keeps them engaged, you know, because they are teaching workshops, and so they'll be out there with with some faculty who says you changed my life, and uh, they they dig that, so. For, for a number of reasons, they're they're still around. Um, does it worry me? Yeah, uh, which is why we'll spend the next year sort of redoing our code and making it more uh, less developer specific. Ah, what did you ask me, Dirk? Uh, the turnover uh, amongst my developers. Sorry. Anything else? Great. and sold. All right. Visible. Uh, it will surprise you to learn that there are multiple IT organizations at, at Stanford. I'm sure that's news to everyone. But, uh, and and uh, I would represent one of them in uh, the central IT organization. And uh, the one that did the coursework development, which is most of what I'll speak to you about is going to be um, is, is an academic computing group uh, out of the libraries and, and uh, so I'll do my best to, to represent those pieces there's there as it happens there are a lot of integration points with the infrastructure that I do deal with and so uh, so I'll, I'll be able to touch on those things probably a little bit more in depth <clears throat> so 
So coursework uh, comes out of the same, the same list of requirements, institution requirements that, that you guys have been hearing about all day. Um, and the answer, again, uh, I think a lot of people have approached this, uh, the same problem in, in largely the same way and, and trying to come up with something modular, something they can reuse across the institution um, and something that's built to standards. Uh, something that's integrate, that integrates well with existing infrastructure as well as big, big driver. Okay, so coursework um, is, is a course management system, not a content management system or a certificate management system, all the, the, other, the other uses of that acronym. Uh, so uh, it's modular, Java-based. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, built um, in the in the standard uh, web web fashion, and um, and and deals with uh, the course content. Uh, it's extensible, uh, and and again leverages existing campus infrastructure. Um, so as part of the the OKI project, which is what really got uh, co coursework going and off the ground. Um, we were we were basically building to the, the functional layer, if you will, and uh, the the services layers are things that actually sort of caught up a bit uh, later. Um, so so a lot of what what we've had to do more recently is to go back and make sure that we can we can tie into the the services OKI layer and the APIs there. Since uh, since our since our work done, it's it's been out since the fall of 2001 and, and in production. Um, and, and again, funded in part by the, the, the Mellon Grant. So this had originally said uh, easy, uh, easy for novice faculty to use, and I didn't think that came across very well. So uh, it, it's, it's, or easy enough for faculty to use, that wouldn't be good either, would it? So uh, easy, easy to use for faculty, that's, that's actually borne out by the, the statistics of adoption, and I'll go over that in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it, it does. It does have a lot of capability that, that makes it extensible for other contexts where there is there is more uh, um, uh, higher functionality requirements. Uh, but it's uh, and there's a student and administrative view which basically get, has other functions that that only an administrator could be a delegated uh, faculty delegates some kind of a course development to uh, to an admin person, for instance. Um, and it and that's driven through a wizard interface. And the notion of an 80% solution, it's basically trying to get the biggest portion of the functionality to the greatest number of, of the, uh, the academics as, as possible and, and students as possible. It doesn't, it's not trying to do every single uh, thing that you might have heard in some of the other contexts where there's some very, very novel work going on. Um, so I clipped this off the OKI site just to throw it in there. We talked a lot about OKI architecture. And again, we'd, we'd be talking in, in, the, in the context of coursework about the the, uh, the upper upper two layers of, of the diagram. So, so this is uh, this is one snapshot of the interface for, for coursework, and and uh, the objects the objects the learning objects that, that, that have been built into this are the uh, the users courses the authorization content and display. So it's it's really well integrated into uh, infrastructure that we have uh, for for. Uh, for people on campus and for the courses themselves, uh, groups of individuals who are already associated, already associated together with um, with courses. Um, there and, and again, it's it's the standard set of tools that you would need in, in most classes. It's it's uh, 
it, it really was originally born, uh, I think the, the original core users were in, in language, so there was uh, support for a good, a good num amount of uh, streaming content. Um, and, and then assessment, as an assessment tool, it's used a lot for that. So similar to a lot of the other graphs you've seen, it's been a, it's been a, a, a pretty steady um, adoption rate. Uh, that's actually demonstrated where and where, uh, where it does and where it didn't scale uh, readily, and so, so we've, we've adjusted to that. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's actually also taken ground away from some of the, the, uh, the uh, learnings that the LMS systems that, that were purchased by some of the departments or built by some of the departments, and that's also a measure of its, its success as well. Uh, we're, we're actually at this point um, uh, to, the, to, to, to the level of, well, we're not saturated in the market, as, as it were, but uh, it's, it's widely understood to be uh, a core part of, of uh, the uh, pedagogical arsenal. And um, what's great is we get a lot of, a lot of in times of severe funding uh, uh, problems, uh, we get a lot of faculty basically voicing a lot of uh, uh, nice things about it and saying that it's vital and it can't be uh, done away with in, 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 the, uh, in the race to, to find cuts. And again, uh, the profile is very, very standard um, model. It's uh, servlet. There's no EJB right now um, in terms of the development. It's, uh, it's built on Apache in the front end. And I mean, in our implementation, that's not, that's not a requisite or anything. Um, the the code base is uh, going to be made open source finally uh, this summer. Um, it, we've we've uh, done a couple of shots at that before, and we wanted to make sure that uh, things were were it, that it was going to be a supported distribution that was going to be um, you know well maintained, and that it uh, it incorporated as many of the uh, the interoperability with the service layer as we could we could get out in that release. Um, so again, uh, there are going to be there are going to be other things asked for that are that are local. There are probably going to be extensions that we're going to go for that are that are asked for the communities as we as we as we support the the open source version. Um, there there's some trial of of the uh, of coursework at at a couple of universities. Um, I know about Dickinson. I don't I don't know. Can't remember. Uh, the, thank you. <laughs> so you leave it to somebody else to have to tell me what the. The adoption outside of the of the institution is, but but um, so there there are there are a few different places that are using it, and and we've gotten a lot more interest in that actually a lot of people, but just by word of mouth and um, it's it's got uh, so co coursework on on the uh, the back end um, or the middle tier rather uh, ties into the our network authentication uh, infrastructure through a an initial sign in. Uh, uh, web web initial sign on of, of uh, web auth, and uh, that's that's been uh, rewritten, and it'll probably have another iteration within a, a year or two that will make it more abstracted out from the the authentication, so that uh, the particular technology of the the authentication. So that's not something that's that's required that you have uh, our particular infrastructure uh, as you might get a build of this. Um, it's, it, we use it against our uh, again, like I said, the, the, we have a concept of registries that that are that has have feeds in from systems of record like PeopleSoft and and, and that kind of thing. 
and um, and those those registries hold information about uh, course course time, uh, the, the the people in a, in a particular course, uh, the, the students in a course, the faculty in a course, and uh, the the ACLs for for access control are, are I mean the, the the access control for a given course is is a function of uh, of actually an authorization system that that's in the application, but is is basically uh, knit together from from these source systems. Um, the we we have a global file system of AFS that is basically uh, the the uh, repository of some of the pieces of information links back to information people already have in their courses, uh, faculty already have in their courses or, or ongoing material, and um, and again, like I said, the the authentication is is our network authentication scheme. So. So interoperability issues, things that have made this kind of a tough deployment in, in some particular cases, uh, the, the tie-in to some of the infrastructure or some of the particular uh, needs within in given classes, there, there were some dependencies that have, have been gating functions of some of the, some of the interim releases. Um, the, the fact that the support needs to be all the time and when problems come up, they, they need to be supported right away. That's something that's been been uh, a challenge to, to uh, for the uh, for the libraries to be able to to figure out a model where they were going to be able to support this to the to the uh, to the instructors as they became became more dependent upon it. Uh, the, the fact that they were going to need to be able to uh, support make make changes to the, I mean, the functional changes would take a little bit longer, but even even some bug fixes would would be uh, a challenge. Um, and then there's 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 always a need to do to do more in more contexts around integration for for things like uh, authority and um, the idea of uh, of being able to have a more centralized uh, authorization scheme uh, has been has been a challenge as well. So, uh, and this is this is another list of of things that have come up that a lot of people people have been asking for or particular people have been asking for maybe more pressure around some of these things. Online lab notebooks. Um, I, these are these are uh, these are future views, and it probably de it probably depends upon uh, at this point uh, how much of this is going to be fundable in, in some of these contexts. So so that's going to drive uh, some of what we do in this in this space. Um, and system facing calendaring. Uh, I think somebody mentioned the, the difficulty around that. We've got a couple of different calendaring efforts, and so tying this into the into an enterprise calendaring scheme is something we're definitely uh, interested in doing. It's uh, it's going to be a challenge to get that interface done, and we're hoping that the that the service layer will be able to uh, help us get there as well. Uh, and and highly available uh, services in, in the web infrastructure is, is something that's uh, that the the libraries didn't have a lot of experience with, and so this is something that we're also um, getting uh, you know working from a central IT point of view to try to help them uh, work do. And that's about as much as I had today. Did you have any questions? Yeah. Um, how do you decide which feature to bring in? The, 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 the,
Man. Okay, how do we decide what gets built, what new function functionality you're talking about mostly? Right. Right. I, I think that that the the drivers are probably the largest community that's going to be served is is the is the biggest is like that's what I'd like to say is is the driver in every case. There are going to be cases where a particular um, a, a particular school, maybe a formula school, can foot the bill for a particular function functional enhancement, and that might that might in fact get get some get some time slides just on the basis of it being uh, underwritten. But but for the most part, it's it's for how broad the the usefulness of that feature is. And like I said, that's what the original intent was going after the the biggest chunk, the biggest bang for the buck, sort of. Uh, in the in the original specification. Yeah. Yeah, and they're really made out of, like I said, this this unit of IT that's in the uh, academic uh, computing space and, and out of the libraries, really, um, for the most part right now. Yeah. Any? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There are relational databases that uh, hold. We have several registries. There's a person registry, an organization registry, a um, an authority registry, uh, an application registry, and and a course registry. Now, and uh, they are. It, it's a. Um, I mean, in some cases, a metadata repository. It's usually a um, a repository. It. it it's a it's a mapping against other systems you, uh, for, for the most part, and it uh, it enriches source system data that otherwise uh, is difficult to integrate with with an API or something like that. So that concept of a registries abstracts out that institutional information and and is used in a lot of other contexts besides just uh, this coursework, for instance. It's used in a whole lot of other contexts. So it's it, it is sitting on relational databases, but it feeds uh, a campus directory. And it uh, and it and it uh, and a camp campus uh, Active Directory as well. Well, it's it's not altogether referential. That's what that sort of would be my druthers. But but uh, there there are cases where there's a, for instance a document expression. Uh, there's an XML document service that that's that's uh, that. Um, Basically expresses information that might be might actually be is in fact from multiple sources, so it integrates that into a, a particular <laughs> interface. And then it, the registries system actually feeds into things like the directory, and 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 so there'll be it'll be a composite of information that that you'll actually be getting from that that the registries from the outside the registries appear as one thing to 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 uh, consumers of it, but it's multiple databases. Anything else? Okay. Thank you.
explore the leopard, I get the opportunity to listen to some of the people in the UK and Europe and other places. And I want to bring you some uh, examples of some of their work. The second is by in Washington, D.C. I want to bring some information about two other things, the Kent Factor Research University, and a little bit about ADL <coughs> from Cloverfield and Lab at Philadelphia. And you can tell this work. Committee is the one that allocates funds for special IT projects in the U UK. And there are four sort of drivers of, of their current activity in the learning management uh, system space. One of them is they focus on the value of content. And one of the things that they do is they have a package of IMS, or a set, series of IMS packages, and you can't buy an LMS using their funds unless you know that it is, is compliant with IMS. So that answers one of the questions about how do you make standards work. The second one is that they have figured out how to develop the long-term software support. I'm going to give you an example of Boddington, which is one that uh, most of you heard about when Oxford University chose it. But what's interesting is the three pro-vice uh, chancellors of uh, Oxford, Manchester, and Leeds agreed to fund a center that provides level one support to others who are going to implement Boddington and level two support to faculty. And that's a center established at Leeds, and they've guaranteed funding from their academic budget for five years. So this gives people a reason to go to uh, Boddington. The argument that uh, the pro-vice-chancellor at Oxford gave for doing this was he felt that the investment in the support of a product that other universities might use would, in fact, be returned because additional content would be available. And then, of course, they want to support multiple pedagogies. If you talk about the class organization used in the U.S. versus the tutorial uh, approach in the U.K., you get some sharp differences of opinion. The fourth item, which is not on this slide, is library integration. The University of Bristol is doing the library integration to the point where if you have an integrated um, re uh, reading list, if you uh, right-click on it, it'll tell you which libraries currently have a copy of that on the shelf or on review. Uh, on reserve and your ability to uh, see if you can uh, reserve it. Colloquia is a, uh, uh, and this is a, uh, the only important thing you need to know is you notice how it's sort of organized by channels. This is one of the software projects that's designed to support seminars. And it is very rich in the way in which you can do it. For example, you can, as a faculty member or the tutor, you can have everything rooted through you and you can decide which things should be list, uh, should be read by others. You can have peer-to-peer -peer communications, or you can have peer-to-the-whole-class uh, communication, or you can always root things through for comment by the tutor. This has proved to be very useful in the graduate courses that they have at the three universities. This is just an example of what the group discussion would look like. On the left-hand side, you see the organization, the materials, and on the right-hand side, you see some of the material that's being uh, read. Some key things. One of them is a peer-to-peer. The argument was you sh need not be connected to the Internet. That is, you can take your own uh, laptop, and uh, just when you connect it, you'll download all of the uh, materials, and then you can do your work offline and come back, because that's the style that many of their students use. These, this is taken exactly from their uh, discussion of, uh, of Colloquia, and it's, of course, Java-enabled, or ju used Java. A little bit about the, the pedagogy. It, the way it's designed is different people run seminars in different ways, and it tries to support a number of different ones. The third thing is important, monitored activity in the sense that this gives a faculty member 
some idea of exactly how people are using this system and, or how they're responding to it. This is important because in the, in the push for retention, which is something very important in the UK, they monitor a student activity so that they can intervene quickly to make certain that the student is retained in the class and performs successfully. I wanted to point out to you that it's available as a service. What they're expecting to do is following, and this is sort of like one of the slides you saw before, is they expect to put this under uPortal, they expect to integrate it in, in Boddington, and they expect to use the Columbia CU CMS underneath it for content management. So that's sort of the direction that uh, Colloquia is going. Boddington was the one chosen by uh, Oxford. Just I wanted to point out to you that it uses the metaphor of buildings, floors, and rooms. They did not want to use classes. When Justin Tilton asked the question, could you change it to classes, the answer is yes. All you'd have to do is change a table, so that would match what's currently being used by most community colleges here in the U.S. And this just gives you an example of how you would use that uh, metaphor. This is the way Boddington looks at the University of Leeds. Um, this is their typical login. This is the way content is delivered. This has to do with the Boddington project itself. They have a building, and then it's divided, of course, into rooms and it describes the various rooms. A little bit more about the project. Manchester, you notice, has a slightly different look and feel. And by the way, they have some slightly different icons. I like the one for help. It's a wrench. Um, now let's move to the Defense Acqui oh, <clears throat> Acquisition University. What's interesting is the Defense Acquisition University offers courses to people in the military. And they are now going to build and offer in open source a learning management system. Some key things about it. The way it's organized is in learning objects, which in fact then are organized under competencies. Competencies are organized under courses and certificates. Certificates from DA come from DAU, but if you get a course credit, these are the institutions that will give you course credit. So as you're going along, you can determine which classes at Georgetown University you'll be given credit for for going to DAU. What's interesting about DAU is First of all, that it's open source, which is unusual for the Department of Defense to do something like that. And the second is their focus was on student re registration and records because they felt that was, the in, that was the weakness of all the other open source systems that they saw. Because the problem with DAU is it has people all over the world and all sorts of different time zones and so forth. Yes? No, it doesn't. And what's interesting, and it's a good point, DAU decided to go open source even though Blackboard was available to them under that DOD contract. So this is a deliberate choice on their part. And part of it had to do with the, the student registration and record system because you have people taking it at a different rate. So this is sort of like the community college open entrance, open exit. Um, and of course, it's SCORM compliant. It's going to be done in modules, so there's a a module. Uh, this is what their home page looks like. This is what their student desktop looks like. This is what their digital library looks like. And what's important about DAU is they have a very extensive online digital library. And the only requirement is you have to be registered in the course to see anything in the library. So that's what uh, how they've resolved the licensing problem. Just a brief comment about ADL. ADL, as you know, is responsible for SCORM. Um, Storm is a combination. Here's what's interesting. This is the rumors about what ADL's most important priority at this point turns out to be the digital repository. And you ask, why is that true? 
because now in the Department of Defense you may not offer a course until you've investigated to see if that course content exists previously. If it does not exist, if it, there's a similar course, then you're re obligated, priority two, to repurpose it, otherwise you can develop it. So now all of the services are trying to put all of their digital learning materials into a repository and they do expect to use the uh, uh, SCORM, or not SCORM, it's the IMS uh, digital repository uh, standard. And that's the end because I have to end at 15, but let me point out two things. One of them, see, made it. One of them is uh, that in, in the UK, they're looking very forward to the Stanford assessment and test module because they feel that of, of all the things that they've heard is that Stanford's efforts is probably the best and they know that that's the weakness in what they're doing. So that is, is, is interesting. The second part has to do with their adoption of the three-tier sort of architecture in, in all of their systems and they're beginning to migrate uh, to that. Are there any questions? in the next 45 seconds. <laughs> Frank, it's all yours. So I have uh, 10 minutes to sum up the first day. I can state some ground rules here. One is that if you have any questions, uh, ask me at dinner. And uh, if uh, you want to add something to my summary, tell Charles, who's going to sum it up, uh, to Chuck, who's going to Chuck, who's going to sum it up, to Chuck, Charles. tell Chuck, who's going to sum it up tomorrow, so he can add to the summary. Uh, I never do a summary without thinking about Lewis Carroll. Uh, it's an important quote. And uh, the snark, uh, Hunting of the Snark, is an important poem. It's the world's only epic nonsense poem. Uh, it takes 45 minutes to recite. I memorized it in college and recited it to my wife on my second date with her, and she still married me. Uh, this is, of course, there are quotes for everything here. Uh, there's a, a barrister who has a dream, and uh, he's, uh, the snark is a trial lawyer. He defends a pig for deserting his sty. Um, then uh, 
everyone is so nervous that uh, he asks the judge to sum up, but he, the judge won't sum it up, so the snark sums it up, and of course he says he sums it so well that it came out to far more than the witnesses ever had said. So of course that's what summaries have to be, that's sort of a picture of the snark. Um, anyway, uh, I thought I would just try and get some themes out of the first day, some themes and questions. It's very hard to do because there really, this really was a full day with lots and lots of things coming forward, but let me see if they're even visible here. Oops, I got two at once. Oh, well. Um, first off, uh, I think big question that was asked mostly this morning is, is it build versus buy? You know, is it, is it uh, what are you going to do? You're going to buy Blackboard, WebCT, or some other system, or are you going to build your own uh, and try to uh, uh, adapt it to uh, OKI or not adapt it to OKI? What, what really are some what really are you going to do? And of course, some of the issues are code portability. I think that's an important theme that came up. We want to have code portability that gives us the power of sharing, building and leveraging tools. The issue of support and vendor reliability came up. I think that's a concern for everyone, even if you build their issues of support and reliability. Um, and one of the things that I think is very important is that a theme that came up over and over again is we used to do it that way, now we're doing it this way. We don't know if we're going to do it differently in the future. And, and finally, one of the things that struck me is that this is not Microsoft Office. You know, you cannot today go out and decide you're going to develop a new Office application because it's done. This is interesting that new companies will come into this or new movements will come in and there are opportunities there for change, which is not the case in everything that we do. It's very interesting and exciting time. Then another theme is integration. I think that's very important. Uh, the library, obviously, uh, administrative applications, integration both ways, that is, how will we use administrative applications and how will our CMS, e-learning, LMS systems be used for administrative applications in the future? And of course, things like authorization, authentication, university systems are important. And the other kinds of projects that we have, portals, calendars, and so on, are part of that. I have to click twice. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Go back one. Okay. Um, we had a, a very interesting discussion on uh, frameworks and standards. Uh, in some ways, it was a little numbing. Uh, so many standards, uh, very hard to figure out where we're going. Um, a comment was that uh, if you want to be a standards developer, uh, it's, it's good you set up your own new standards, and then you can travel all over uh, the world. Uh, for standards meetings, which is which is interesting, but that's obviously a little bit of an exaggeration. But in any case, there are lots of standards. There are lots of standards out there. Um, there is a hope through these for interoperability and stability. Um, and of course, there's great interest in the uh, digital repository of learning uh, contents and learning content uh, items. And the one thing that's interesting is the standards still are diverse. And as we discussed, the frameworks need to allow developers to deal with any standard. Uh, it, it really is a little daunting if a developer is told you have to you know, adhere to all of these standards. I think it would probably stop developers from working if you tried to adhere to them all. 
And I think also timing is very important. We heard this over and over again. The next year or so is really important. You know, if we sit here next year, be a question what we'll hear, what will be developed, how far will the open source systems be developed, will Blackboard be really OKI compliant, will the systems that are moving uh, toward uh, development and OKI compliance, will they uh, move ahead in that area, how will integration and other activities work. So these are, these are, I think, really important. I think timing really is important. It's critical now, the next year or so. Now, the last uh, area we heard, I think, is echoes thoughts uh, across the day. Uh, that is, uh, we still need to provide support for our learning environments. Uh, I think it's important, one of the points this afternoon, faculty need to be involved you don't involve faculty at most of our schools. It really means that these things don't get done or don't get used. And, uh, and obviously, the systems have to be easy and transparent. And I noticed, too, uh, that we were all saying the various demonstrations at, from each school was showing uh, this is how people use it, this is how many people use it, this is what it's used for. There's not a common metric or even any approach toward commonality on uh, what the success is, and uh, there uh, even is a discussion about what's an active website. There's, there's a lot of, of commonality missing here, and adoption rates do vary from school to school. And I think uh, the big question I always ask is how do CMS, LMS systems, how do they improve learning, or do they? Um, and how will we ever find that out? Uh, one of my comments is that one of the reasons why I believe it's almost impossible to find out is you cannot do a controlled test because the students you have will all have used these systems, and it's very hard to compare these students not using the systems because they don't know anything else. So the question is, you know, would they have learned better or differently before? And, and of course, these are different students. These are ones who grew up with MTV and websites and so on, whereas students in the past didn't have that. So we don't know how to measure this. I, I wonder if anyone will ever come up with one. And then there's always my big question. I keep asking myself this last one. You know, close with this, is if I had to start from scratch today, if I was given like a blank slate, and this happens occasionally at universities, you know, where little has been done, what would I do? You know, what would I choose? You know, would I go to Blackboard? Would I build my own? Um, where, where, what alliances would I build? These are all sort of interesting things because we're already down the road. Nobody's finished on that road. Nothing is really sort of set in place and, and ready. Uh, but if you had to start again, where would you go? And I think if you think about that a little bit, it helps to think about where you might go from where you are today. So anyway, with that, hope everybody enjoys dinner. And thanks very much for all the people who presented the first day. You have comments on that, right?